bags are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I wouldn't want it any other way Hello and welcome back to episode 122 of the Corinne Nidja podcast. I'm your host, Corinne Nidja. Things are still, I feel I feel bad. Last week's episode, the intro and outro were pretty bleak about the fires. Things are still, well, at the time of me recording this intro, things are still, it still smells of smoke outside. It's still completely overcast the sky. I can't see the sky for rain clouds, but also smoke. It's still very, very, very trying, upsetting times here in Australia. So as I said last week, if you have the resources to donate money to this CFA, to the New South Wales Fire Brigade, to the South Australian Fire Brigade, to the Western Australian Fire Brigade, to the Tasmanian Northern Territory Fire Brigades, every single state needs resources and support and would welcome your donations. I will put links to where to donate in the show notes. If you have live locally in Australia, if you have goods that you can donate, clean, new clothing, you know, sanitary items, band-aids, toilet paper, water, whatever you have, everything is welcome and needed. So just call your local fire station and they will help deliver your goods to where it's needed around the country. If you have a home, a bed, offer it up on on Facebook, a spare room that people can stay in, offer it up. If you have the skills and a computer and you want to write letters to your local government, federal government, state governments, and ask them what they're doing and how they, and tell them what they should be doing, I think it's time that they all heard from us and that we made our voices very, very loud, especially in a time when our government is trying to silence our right to protest and ask them to act on climate change. Our government's in the process currently, as I say this, of making it illegal to protest on climate change in our country or making it much more difficult and when they should be focusing on doing the work that needs to be done to protect the people, the animals and the forests of our country instead. They are just wanting to silence using it as an, using this time as a political moment when we're distracted to make it difficult for us to use our voices and ask for them to act, which is a deep, deep sadness and a crime that they're doing that. So, yes... Act, act, act in any way you can. If you're a sewer, sew bandages, knit blankets, knit crochet, whatever it is you do, sew bandages for animals, sew pouches for joeys. Any way that you can help, all ways are needed. All of our skills are needed in this time to rally together and take action for ourselves, especially when our government is seemingly so unable and unwilling to protect the citizens of this country and the animals and the flora and fauna. Definitely it's our 
it's up to us. It's up to all of us. As you see time and time again in the news stories, all the local civilians are saying everyone has abandoned us when it comes to our government. They're all feeling very abandoned and left alone to face these devastating fires with their own two hands, which is absolutely just devastating. It's, it's just heartbreaking. So, yes, I wish that I could just be sunny and say something wonderful and positive, but it's the only positive thing is that we we have to band together and be together and recognise that we are all one nation and one country and when we work together we are strong and but when we go into helplessness and separation then we are weak. So let's love one another, think kind thoughts, pray, meditate, calm ourselves, strengthen our resolve and go forth and do what we can to help everyone who is in need. Today's guest on the show is Esther Loveridge, who I love and I deeply wish that I didn't have to talk about fires on her episode, but I just would be absolutely negligent of me not to mention the smoking elephant in the room. Esther was on episode 54 of the podcast, and this is her revisited. And I wanted to revisit Esther because because a lot of people at the moment are coming out as ex-vegans. Not a, not a lot, but they've got a lot of large platforms on YouTube that are doing it. So they they stand out, they stick out when they do these things. And for me personally, well, I've been doing this for a lot longer than pretty much every person who's become an ex-vegan and then a lot of research and Don't become an ex-vegan is what I'm trying to say. Esther is still thriving 16 months on. I wanted to have guests on the show who have been on before and who are still thriving whole food plant-based because it is the optimal diet for humans. A carnivore diet is not an optimal diet for humans. There is no fibre. Many, many doctors on this podcast will talk about the patients that they have had who were on paleo or keto ended up with kidney stones, gallbladder disease, heart disease, colon cancer, pancreatic cancer, you know, it's just heart attacks. It's just not a good long-term diet. Yes, you might get weight loss. Yes, you might feel great short-term, long-term, it's very, very damaging. And it's very, very damaging for the planet. It's a very selfish, short-sighted diet. I'm going to say it frankly because our country's on fire and I feel like there's no time to lose. A carnivore diet requires large amounts of grass-fed beef and other organic grass-fed meats, which are completely unsustainable for a diet of 9 billion people on this planet. It would require so much forest to be deforested, to be decimated for grazing. Those cattle require so much water when we barely have enough to support ourselves. Those animals also require just... Those animals have a, a slaughtered at the end of it unnecessarily suffering at the abattoirs. And those people who work in the abattoirs are, and the slaughterhouses have 
regularly commit suicide. They regularly have mental health problems. They're underpaid. Their work is disgusting and terrible. If you care about humans don't want to support animal agriculture because you're supporting slaughterhouse workers, miserable jobs, life and suicide and apathy. And often they can, they can, you know, it's just yuck. It's just yuck. You're supporting deforestation. You're supporting oceanic dead zones. You're supporting river pollutions of waterways from all the effluent and waste. The animal's feces and excrement and waste runs into crops and causes E. coli outbreaks, salmonella. Oh, it's just... We can't do that as a planet. So when you encourage people are encouraging keto and plant-based diet and sorry, keto and carnivore diets, I immediately just think how short-sighted and selfish it is. Not only is it terribly detrimental to their physical health, it's horrendous for the animals. When you're just eating animals three meals a day. Do you know how many animals you're killing a day? Oh my god. You're paying for these babies to be murdered. Not you listening, obviously. I'm talking about people who are have adopted a, a carnivore diet or are considering adopting a carnivore diet or a paleo diet or a keto diet, our nation's on fire and largely because we've deforested so much of our country for grazing of cattle and sheep, which is devastating for our and dairy and devastating for our health, devastating for the forests, and now we have no water and just a, a level of bushfires that are completely out of control, that are destroying homes, destroying families. And I just don't know how it would have been if we had have left all those trees and all those places with wildlife alone instead of selling them off for to be deforested for cattle grazing and sheep grazing and given all of our water to those animals only for those animals to be slaughtered at the end of the day. It is just mind-blowing to me. So Esther is on the show. <sighs> I'm sorry. It's very, I'm recording this after being, it's just been a rough 2020 so far. If you're a member of our country and I'm not, I'm a, I have to say I'm, I'm everything. I'm numb. I'm angry. I'm devastated. I'm hopeful because there's been so much outpouring of support from our communities and so many people are acting and giving and giving and giving and it's been so many beautiful things, which gives me so much hope. But it's also a very, very desperate situation. So, yes, I am angry. Maybe I'm saying things that I definitely wouldn't say on any other episodes of the podcast before now, but... This is a very strange time and it's a very hard time. So forgive me if I'm speaking out of turn or if I'm saying something that offends. It's just we, we've gotten to this place with climate change around the globe from selfishness, greed and apathy. And selfishness, greed and apathy aren't what's going to get us out of this. So we have to think in new ways and do things differently and think differently and create new solutions. And, you know, I am fearful that the people, the few who hold the most power aren't going to let the changes necessary to reverse climate change or pause it at the very least, aren't going to let those changes happen because it doesn't suit their bottom line. 
and that many, many people are going to suffer as a result. And, you know, so it's just a, it's a very hard time, but I do think that those people in power need all of us to maintain their lifestyle. So I think if all of us begin acting and changing our behaviours and changing our consumption and buying much, much, much less things that we don't need that we just wanted and giving up on wants a lot more and focusing on just the basics, refusing to buy plastics, you know, really trying to support sustainable business as much as financially possible for wherever we are in our economics and use less power, use less water, really try and give back to our communities more than just taking, 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 then there's hope. There's hope that if we all start doing more and speaking up more and standing up more and saying enough is enough, that we can have some hope. So without further ado, I need to say welcome to Esther. Esther, is 76 now. And I don't really want to say much more. She was on the show. Go back and have a look and listen to her episode 54. It's very well worth the listen. She's absolutely inspirational. Esther has had so many great health benefits from a whole food plant-based diet. She's very passionate. She's helping so many people now since her own journey started 3.5 years ago. And in the episode, I say that this that this episode's episode 121, but it's 122. So forgive me, I just made a mistake. Uh, she has done so, so well. <laughs> She's done so well. And if you have a mother or a relative in their 70s or 60s and they're saying, you know, it's too late for me, I'm just going to be overweight and sickly for the rest of my life and it's old age and it's all I can do, it's hopeless, Esther's story is the one that you should play for them because Esther... Uh, was, you know, all those things, obese, needed knee replacements, you know, needed glasses, on thyroid medication. And you have to hear her story to hear how it's turned out. But yeah, she's just fabulous. She's just fabulous. Thank you so much, Esther, for coming on the show again, for chatting with me. And you can find Esther over at Esther's Nutritional Journey Facebook group on Facebook and She's wonderful in there and very, very, very active. So go over there. You can also Google Esther Loveridge in YouTube and watch videos. So you can see her before and afters. You can hear her journey. So please check out Esther on YouTube and check her out in her Facebook group, Esther's Nutritional Journey. Enjoy this episode. Thank you all for listening. Please go donate. Love you all. The links will be in the show notes for everywhere that you can donate. Thank you. Bye. Hello, Esther, and welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you, Corinne. It's great to see you and, and talk to you again. I love hearing everything you have to say. Oh, thank you. Happy New Year, by the way. Oh, yes, yes, thank you. And how are you doing down there with the fires? Well, it's, I, like I said in the introduction to this episode, it's, it is very, very terrifying at the moment here. It's not a fun place to be. It isn't a happy New Year in Australia at the moment. It's, yeah, it's just really upsetting. I think we're all, it's very hard to focus. I don't know how anyone's doing any work unless you live in the city and you're oblivious. But I think even the city people are getting the smoke in most of Australia. So I think it's, 
it's impacting everyone. Everyone, everyone in the city has got family members that are in rural areas that are, you know, every single state's on fire except for the ACT. So we are definitely not having a great time. But you know, we're here to talk about you today. Okay. <laughs> Um, yes. So we're revisiting your story. You were back on episode seven. No, I always say 70 and I don't know why. It was 54. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. 54. Mm-hmm. And that was like uh, 16 months ago. So lots happened since then. Exactly. And I wanted to have, I like having all guests that have been on the show previously because I think uh, you know, regularly on social media, you hear about you know people who went plant based and now they're back, or they're even worse. They're not only back eating animal products, but they're now carnivores and yeah, and they're posting as ex vegans. And so I think it's important to have people who have you know been plant based for you know like a a, a a lengthy amount of time now to come back on the show. And just talk about their experience being plant-based for, you know, now 16 months longer. Yes, yes. Yeah, so three and a half months, I mean, three and a half years altogether for me. And uh, it's wonderful to be maintaining. And actually, I've, I think I've lost another, I don't know, I wrote down here somewhere how many more pounds I lost. I think, um, I don't have it right clear in front of me. But anyway, I think I was, oh, shoot. My, well, my all-time high was 282. And then I started whole plant based. I was uh, 257. And uh, then I followed up and then I lost 130 pounds on the Google. And I was 25 down before that. So I've gone from 257 uh, three and a half years ago now to 127. So 130 pounds, which is more than what I weigh now. So now you're 127 pounds. Right. Wow. Um, and, um, the last year and a half, I've been off of that thyroid medication without any symptoms recurring. So that's a biggie for me. And then last December, I went back. I've been going to the eye doctor every year for checkups for a macular pucker and a uh, pseudo degeneration and cataracts. He's been following me. And, and three years ago, he suggested I go have surgery. And I've been able to avoid that. And a year ago, he said I didn't even need to wear glasses anymore. So it's just it's just been remarkable. I do use my readers sometimes if I'm looking at my iPhone in the dark, you know. But but uh, for driving, I don't have to have them for my license anymore, and so that's all good. And I'm just I'm just going on and spreading the word and having a really really good time at it. The other thing, Corinne, that's kind of exciting. I, I re-listened to that podcast 54 just to kind of see where I've come since then. And I think I mentioned then that I had, what, 300 in Esther's Nutritional Journey. Yes. And, and, and now it's like to over 2,000. I saw. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, it's not about numbers, but it's just about having more people catch on and learn and spread the word. Because I was thinking the other day, if this had been a multi-marketing um, experience, just think of how many people would be affected by it, you know. Mm. One person tells one, that one tells one, that one tells one, and away it goes. 
Absolutely. It's so, I'm, I'm so, I love the work you do and I've been following you ever since. Although Facebook sometimes, I miss, I miss a lot of your posts because it just doesn't come up in my feed and then I hunt you down again and find you. <laughs> <laughs> See what's going on. See what's going on and check in. And so in 16 months, you know, so prior to, if you haven't listened to Esther's story, and in episode 54, she was talking about, you know, her journey being, you know, 282 pounds and needing basically both knees replaced. Is that correct? Uh, I, well, I don't, I would not have known until I went to the surgeon, but mm. my doctor said um, that I was almost bone on bone according to the x-rays mm. and that before he could refer me to the surgeon that I had to lose 70 pounds. So that's where I was. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, needless to say, I had, didn't have to have the surgery, so it's all good for me. It's good. And how are your knees now, like when you walk? Like, are they much oh, better? Well, we, we were doing cruising before, mm. and then um, when, I, when I got rid of all the knee pain, then we thought, well, why, why cruise when we can walk? So we've been traveling like this last year, 2019, we did three trips and they were all land tours and, you know, just buses and walking and, and going all over the world. So no, they don't hurt at all. Sometimes I'll feel something when I'm coming down, like say a lot of stairs or, uh, walk, you know, doing some hiking, coming down a hill or something, I'll feel a little pressure there. But as soon as I stop, there's no pain. I mean, it's, it's not even pain then, it's just an awareness of, of maybe a weakness in my knees, but uh, yeah, every day, no, no pain, no problems at all. It's just, it's, it's just such a relief to realize that taking the weight off and eating right, that uh, whatever it's done, it's done, and I'm happy with it. So, yes, yeah. and so for a lot of people, and so you're 76 now, 34 yes. now. Yes, uh-huh. so 76 now. 76 now and for a lot of people at 76 you know my mother is 68 and all those land trips big walks those things are pretty much gonna be you know they're over for my mum because of her health you know and she's had a lot of stress and she's you know it's it and for a lot of people her age are all in in a similar boat where they're like that's just done for me. Now it's just I'm an old person and I sit in, you know, I don't, I have to just watch myself and do some gardening and potter around and, you know, just try and enjoy the rest of life until the end. But for you at 76, you're such an inspiration because you're saying, you know, you were at 75, 282 pounds, both you know, unable to walk, getting around, doing cruises because it was such a struggle. And now you're saying that at 76, you're hiking and have reversed your chronic illness and lost so much weight and now you're feeling amazing. Yeah, there might have been a little correction. I was 72 when I started eating this way, you know, three and a half years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and then uh, that's when it just started coming off. And then last year, you know, I was – before I turned 75, you know, we were traveling around 74 and then at 75, I just, we did three trips last year. We went to Southeast Asia and then we went to Croatia and then we went to, um, oh gosh, where's the last one we went to? Uh, oh yeah, India and Bhutan and Nepal. And there's lots of walking, all those places. And I kept up and, you know, 
I don't know, it's just a whole new life. I just, and I hear people say all the time, oh, I'm getting older or it's my age or whatever. And I, I just um, wish everyone knew what was possible. Mm. So Esther, I just wanted to kind of go on a little bit of a, because people who are listening who haven't maybe gotten back to your first episode, and this is the first they're hearing of you, what was eating like before? How did you eat before you made the switch to a whole food plant-based diet? Well, I was always watching my weight for the last 50 years on and off. So it was always one diet after another. And But my regular food would have been, oh, I, I used to say my favorite food was a prime rib uh, dinner with uh, horseradish sauce and a baked potato, sour cream and bacon and chives and then of course, uh, French bread with garlic butter on it and cheesecake for dessert. I mean, I love my sweets. I love my fats. I liked eating the skin off of chicken. I liked uh, when I was doing Dr. Atkins, of course, I felt like I could eat all the fat I wanted. But the, the hardest part about that was I ended up with pancreatitis twice and gallbladder disease. And no one ever let me know that there was even a possibility of diet being a problem with that. But I think my eating was just you know, pretty much what I thought everybody else ate, you know, normal. I didn't really spend all day in bed eating and gorging like that. But if I got started on things that were especially uh, salt and sugar and flour, or not flour, but uh, butter, you know, fat mixed together, you know, it was just really hard to quit. Um, I love Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And if I ate candy, I just would eat it till it was gone. So I wouldn't have to be tempted again. So it's just... It was just, um, I don't know how to describe it except to say that I just ate um, too often maybe or ate too much. And I just didn't know how easy this way could be uh, in terms of maintaining weight loss. It's just, I told my cousin yesterday, I said, you know, I just feel like I've been um, as much off of drugs as any alcoholic or drug addict. I said, the freedom I feel now is just... So it's like the battle is over, you know, there's no going back. And that's, so I don't think my food before, it was just the sad American diet, you know, just thinking every meal had to be centered around meat and, and, and eating all the sweets, you know, and it just would come on. And then I could diet really well. I, I can be really focused and I can um, stick to a diet really well and lose weight. But then it was always a diet and a diet meant that once you got to your goal weight, then it was time to take back into your life what you had given up all that time. And then normally, like anyone else, I would just, over time, just gain the weight back and then a little more. And each time I got a little higher, then that would be my signal to start the yo-yo all over again. Yeah. And so it's, what I don't know, I, it's, it's just uh, amazing to me how learning what foods to eat, you know, you know the fruits, the vegetables, the grains, and the legumes, it's that simple. Just pick what you like and eat it. So I'm all about simple now. I don't I don't do fancy recipes. If I don't worry about if I have all those fancy spices in the house or anything. I just eat the food. You know. I love that. But I I was wondering for people who because you have come now. You know I've seen you eat like just a plate full of steamed carrots. I know. <laughs> I do eat weird combinations. I will say that. Yeah, and, you definitely and I, do. I, yeah, I hesitate to call it breakfast anymore because my food is not traditional breakfast food. You know, like this morning, I think I ate a pound of uh, pumpkin because I wanted to get rid of the last pumpkin I had. 
But I mean, now it's just fuel. So I don't think of it as meals at certain times anymore. It's just freedom to eat whatever I want at the moment. That's pretty, pretty neat. That's really neat. But for people who are still mired in the standard American, Australian, Western style diet, thinking about eating just pumpkin for breakfast, maybe really, really out there. How did you make the transition for how, how was was it was it difficult or was it really easy because you'd reached a point of discomfort that you felt really inspired into action or was it slow and tricky at the start because you know with a drug addict or an alcoholic those first few weeks months days minutes um without their fix of you know for us high calorie salt high salt high sugar high oil foods can be really really tricky and it can feel like it can feel like a drug or alcohol addiction the the intensity mm-hmm. of the cravings for those foods how did you make your make your way through that well that was three and a half years ago, and my friend Nora uh, gave me Dr. McDougall's program for maximum weight loss. And like I mentioned earlier, when I go on a diet, I go on a diet. And I decided early on that I was going to put his uh, book and his plan to the test. So there was no way I could be cheating and going back and forth and call it an experiment or call it a test you know, without doing it 100% or as close to 100% as I could be. So I was, because of the pain in my knees and the fact that it was getting in the way of us being able to travel freely and have that choice, I just, I went into it all at once. And I think for me, that was the best because the longer I have, you know, if, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. And so um, some people do go slowly and that's fine. We all have different personalities and but for me, I, I had, just like I said, I was just going to put him to the test because every other diet had failed. So I thought, well, I'm just going to do this. And if it works, then, then, he, then he's going to get the credit. And so I have stood by that continually since that time. And it's, a, it's probably the most radical approach that he has because uh, in his regular program, you can have some healthy, high-fat foods. And on the maximum weight loss, you cut it down pretty um, restrictively, you know, you eliminate good foods like uh, avocados, nuts, seeds, olives, and soy, you know, that is sometimes allowed on a plant-based diet. But I was, I was desperate and uh, I wanted to go for the fast lane. And so, uh, and I think in a way, if a person can do that, then you start having success immediately. And that sex, success becomes your own internal motivator. When we play with a plan and we don't really uh, do the program, then we and then if we slip up, we say, "Well, the program failed." No, it's because we played around. But playing around works for some people. So I don't. I, I think any step that anybody can take is worth validating and, and supporting and encouraging. That we just all attack it differently. But for me. It was the best way for me. Now that you've reached, obviously, a a very, very healthy weight for your body, have you included avocado, nuts, and seeds back into your diet? I have, but not routinely. Like, I don't keep nuts in the house. And if we go to Costco and you get avocados, you get six in a bag. And so 
we we do use those occasionally, but very sparingly. And Dr. McDougall uh, suggests that you don't try to reintroduce those foods until you've been stable for six months. He wants you really to not have just gotten to your goal and start putting high-fat foods back into your diet. But um, so I do once in a while, or you know, but most of the time we don't have avocados in the house or nuts. Uh, I do. I have eaten the pumpkin seeds from the pumpkins I've roasted. But again, I measure out maybe like a half a cup in the shell, you know, and just do it very moderately. I don't, they aren't, haven't been triggers where I just go crazy eating the whole thing. Mm. So I just, I kind of watch it. Uh, I, I don't use soy at home, so that's not a problem. And I don't buy olives, but if I'm on a salad bar, then in my mind I can say, oh, whoopee, a whole spoonful of sliced olives, you know, like it's a treat. And, um, yeah, yeah. and so I just kind of moderate that way, but none of those things have been, uh, I think the avocado would probably be the most, um, delicious or the most wower, you know, of, um, of those foods because it just looks so healthy and it does taste so good and rich after eating a plain diet. And that's could be a problem too. I sometimes at church, they'll have, um, refreshments afterwards and at first, most of the offerings were not uh, compliant. But then once in a while, if they had nuts there, I might measure out six. And I'd eat them very slowly and deliberately and just really enjoy them, but not just go by the handfuls, you know. Yeah. So I'm still cautious about them. But yes, to answer your question, yes, I have experimented with some, but not like every day or, you know, even every week. Because recently you had a, a bit of um, a health a personal private health issue. And I was wondering, because a lot of people, they can go along for a long time really well, but then something happens such as a health crisis or a personal problem or a stressful situation in their lives and all of a sudden all the wheels fall off and their resolve disappears and they reach for those addictive behaviours that, had held them through stressful times previously. Has that been an issue for you where you've had something come in that you weren't expecting and it's set you back or thrown you know thrown you off your track at all? Well, it threw me off my track in terms of my physical health and creating an injury to my body, but I haven't gone off in terms of adding back in bad food. But I'm willing to talk about a very personal problem I had uh, after we'd gotten back from our trip to India, um, after we'd been home a while, I got it in my head that I thought I would try a fast, a water fast. I'd heard lots about it, and I thought, I wonder if I get hungry. I just wanted to experiment again. So I had kind of decided maybe I'd do three days. So in a sense, I went off of the plan because the plan does not suggest going on a water fast. So we also had an abundance of pomegranates. And so as I started that first day, I thought, well, maybe I'll just have water plus two cups of pomegranates. Um, and that would be nutritious, you know. So that was fine. On day two, I took some of the pomegranates and made juice for Ben. And I squeezed all the juice out of the seeds. And then I got the stupid idea that all this pulp was sitting there, and that might be good fiber. Not. So I ate two whole cups of the fiber 
after the juice had been extracted. Just raw, and or did you roast them, or how did you raw, that? Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, I I just sat down and ate it as though it was oatmeal or something, and I had two whole cups of that. Now, mind you, this is after the seeds had been put in the blender and sharpened, and I got the juice out. So anyway, I did that day two. Then day three, and all this time I'm not even hungry, so it's just kind of an interesting thing. On day three, I went back to having two cups of the whole pomegranate seeds, you know, with water. By day four, I was in the emergency room, so impacted that I could not move my bowels. I tried enemas at home, and that didn't work. I went to the ER, and the enemas there didn't work. Manual extraction didn't work. I think it only injured me more. And they sent me home with a liquid that I had to drink to try and work it out from the top down. So long story short, I was in as much pain as childbirth for five and a half weeks from having fissures in my anus and in my rectum. And it was horrible. What made it even worse is I went to the went back to the doctor and um, he prescribed some cream, which didn't really help much. And then I, I, then I went back again, and this time it was not with my plant-based doctor, but with another doctor. And the first question I asked her when I met her is, are you a plant-based doctor? And she said no. So after examining me, she decided I needed to go on a low-fiber diet um, because I was having so many bowel movements every day, and I think she wanted to decrease the frequency. So she put me on this low-fiber diet, which was totally opposite from what I follow. And when I looked at the list of foods, the low-fiber foods were meat, ice cream, bread, white rice, uh, all the eggs, all the things I don't eat. And so I kind of almost went into a panic thinking, what am I going to eat? So I looked at the list very carefully and I thought, okay, I'm willing to switch over from brown rice to white rice. I'm willing to add some white bread into my diet. And I'm willing to add some white spaghetti into my diet. And so I, w- I went that. Well, then that ended up making me constipated. So I went back to my regular plant-based doctor and he said, oh, no, no, no. He said, you need all the fiber in your diet. So go back to eating. I said, you mean I can now keep the skins on my potatoes and my sweet potatoes and I can eat carrots without uh, peeling them? I said, yes. He said, we'll just manage, we'll manage it with uh, a stool softener and Miralax. So after about three days, I was back on my on my regular diet and feeling wonderful because it's scary when you have to go off of your good food on doctor's orders. And uh, so anyway, but it took five and a half weeks. I was sitting in the tub for hours at a time doing my breathing exercises. I was doing meditation, everything, trying to manage the pain without pain medication. And uh, thankfully, after five and a half weeks, I was healed. And it's been about a month now. So I'm just so thankful that uh, it was a crazy experiment that I did, but I didn't know it at the time. But it was what it did for me is it told me how important it is to eat the whole food, not have it partialed out. Yes. Wow. Yeah, it was quite the learning experience. Such a painful learning experience. And I've had my own experiences with those kinds of things. And the pain is just unbearable. Yes. Oh, gosh, I really feel for you. And I felt for you in the group when you were posting about that story. And I didn't realize it was the pomegranate seeds 
and the fasting combined that had had done that. But interest, it's so interesting. I, I, I personally, the thought of eating two cups of pomegranate seeds, it seems like a very dry bowl of sadness. But, <laughs> but I guess after eating plain foods for so long, it didn't seem that different for you. Well, it was the, it was the seeds that had the, the juice, uh, extracted. juice extracted, you see. So it was yeah. like eating wood. Yeah. If you can imagine that. Horrible. So I eat. In fact, today I had I had some pomegranate seeds. I can eat them now. It's no problem. It's just when you take the juice out and try to eat the garbage, you know, thinking it's going to be good fiber. Yeah, I can see your logic though that it would be good fiber. But yeah. Uh huh. No. And, and it still looked red, and it still looked somewhat juicy. And I, and I don't like to waste food. So there I am. <laughs> I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Well, it was a good learning experience, and it did give me time to think and time to be by myself and Ben was very supportive and helpful and brought me water and just was by my side the whole time um but it's um those fissures are painful and one good thing that came by my openness in my group uh it was I was surprised about eight women came forward and said that they had had anal fissures as well and if I recall correctly, most of them, if not all of them, ended up having surgery. And that would have been the next step if I had not healed. What kind of surgery do they do? I guess they go in your rectum and, and sew it together where the, oh. where the pets are. Oh. And I didn't want that. And my doctor did mention that, um, you know, if I hadn't healed. He said normally the healing process is four to six weeks. So I just didn't expect it to take that long, and um, finding the solution and working with it was um, was quite a journey. I'll say that. So we just have to respect our bodies, and and sometimes wasting food is better than treating ourselves like a garbage disposal. True, definitely true. I think I think it's too tricky when we're playing around with this way of eating, and I think a lot of people do trip up when they you know go on you know, juice fast or different types of fasts and those things can – and I think a lot of people then fall off the wagon and diff- a different temperamented person may have gone to that non-plant-based doctor and listened to their advice and thought, you know what, they're right. I'm in so much pain. I'm going to go back to eating meat, eggs and dairy again. So kudos to you to having the foresight to know that, no, I've just – this is a temporary state and – I can fix it the way I've been healing my body already with a plant-based diet. I, 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 it was just a big learning experience, that's what I can say. But, yeah, it, that, if I had wanted to go have my ice cream again, that would have been the perfect excuse. Mm, absolutely. You know, if I wanted to eat those other things, like I said, well, the doctor ordered it. You know, I, I might as well take a break and try it. But uh, it, was, it was awful enough just having to eat white bread plain and eat – trying to eat white spaghetti and, and white rice, you know, so. So you, did, you didn't enjoy those foods when you added them back into your life? Uh, when I add, I had it like a white roll kind of a thing, and I, I would eat it little bites at a time. And yes, I did enjoy it. It did taste different from things I had been eating. Mm. I can't say that I enjoy the white rice or the spaghetti. Spaghetti mm. was okay, too, because I don't usually eat pasta. Mm. So it was it was something else, but... Mostly, I was just missing my food, and I just, I just felt like this stuff doesn't have any nutrition in it. How can I get well eating this? And fortunately, it was only maybe five days that I did that. 
because once I ran into the constipation problem, then we got switched back to my regular food, which was like, wow, I'm home again. And so what would a regular day of eating typically look like for you? You did say before we touched on it about that it's just you eat not a typical breakfast and that you ate pumpkin for breakfast um, today and that you just eat what your body needs. But what does that look like overall? Well, originally, you know, I was doing probably oatmeal every day with blueberries. That was kind of a standard. And then I was in the summertime, more salads and then eating fruit. And then it was, it was really quite a while before I realized that on that program, fruit should be limited to only two a day. So initially I was probably eating maybe three fruits a day, but it's just, um, I just look at those four food groups, you know, fruits, vegetables, grains, and legumes. So I, when I eat beans, I try to eat rice with it just because I think that combination is healthy. Um, and I like salads and I use a, what I call three, two, one salad dressing. Um, it's just balsamic vinegar, mustard, and lemon juice. And that does the no, no oil, uh, trick. And uh, for breakfast, I, I still eat oatmeal quite often, but I don't like to, again, I don't like to waste food. So if I've made an abundance of potatoes or abundance of sweet potatoes or even broccoli or, or Brussels sprouts, now I just eat whatever's in the refrigerator that looks appealing to me at that moment. So I keep uh, regular potatoes, sweet potatoes, um, brown rice, beans, and um, fruit, and what else, uh, and vegetables, you know, just on hand all the time, and oatmeal. And so I just, you know, I, I can make a meal in one minute, just reheating whatever's in there in the microwave. And uh, I try to make some interesting combinations because I do post everything I eat in my Facebook group. And people can see the pictures, and sometimes they look pretty, and sometimes they look plain. But uh, people are beginning to appreciate the simplicity of it all, how you don't have to make a meal with uh, fancy recipes. You know, you just I just cook the food. You know, like tonight I had, um, I think it was, uh, I had sweet potatoes and beets. And then after that, then I thought, well, I'd have some soup, but I wanted some extra garbanzo beans, which I just learned how to make. And so I put a cup of um, garbanzo beans in the bowl and then put a cup of soup over it and heated it up. And then I had an orange. So I just eat the food. You know, it's it's, um, not like making lasagna or making a meatloaf or something. When you look at my plates, you can see it's just, I just eat the food. You know, you you can tell what I'm eating just by looking at the pictures. It's not like a recipe. So it's, it's just, it's just so simple. And there's, you know, I admire people who are chefs and who are fancy cooks and they know how to make something so beautiful for company or whatever. But I'm just all about simplicity because um, because I can be and it's just so easy. And I spend less time in the kitchen that way and less time preparing and less time. Because for me, you know, I don't even like to use the fake vegan foods because it reminds me of what I've left behind and I just want all of that so behind me. Why do I want to play with fake cheese and fake sauces and fake ice cream and fake meats? Uh, it's just not me. But for some people, it's a bridge. And so I don't knock it for other people. But for me, I just I don't want to be tempted by what I used to elevate. So how is Ben? Does Ben eat the same way as you, your husband? Well, what I can say is he eats he, no animal and no dairy, and we have no oil in the house. He eats um, 
the food that I bats cook, but he presents it a little bit differently. He does eat uh, a healthy bread. I think he usually has just one slice a day. He will put preserves on it. Uh, he sometimes does use uh, whole peanut butter, you know, where he, the peanut butter is just made from peanuts only. And he's a little um, more liberal in terms of using, uh, say, corn tortillas once in a while. He has pasta once in a while. And um, so he and so he will have a broader spectrum than what I have, but, but no animal, no dairy. And he has gone, at one time he was 320. When he started this, uh, maybe about nine months after I did, he was 220. And now he's... And now he's down to 160. So he and he exercises more than I do. And he's a man, and he's very active. And he had some health challenges too. He had a hernia that had to be replaced, and he had a bleeding ulcer at one time, uh, and that slowed him down a little bit. Uh, but oh my gosh, he looks so wonderful, and I'm so happy to have a clean kitchen, and so glad that he's on on board. It's just wonderful. But he's, he's able to see, he doesn't have an addictive personality like I do. If I start on something, I want to finish it. And he can sample something and, and one's enough for him. So it's just a different different way. He's very fortunate that, that way that he uh, doesn't go off the deep end and he never gorges and never, you know, it's just a different personality. So It's interesting because Ran, Ranjit is very similar as far as, you know, Ranjit can, if we have like a food in the house, whatever food it is, you know, he can just have a little bit uh-huh. and I am much more likely to, you know, think about that food obsessively <laughs> if there's some kind yeah. of unhealthy yeah. food in the house. And definitely he hasn't have a, he only has a sweet tooth for chocolate, but he doesn't have a sweet tooth for all sweets, <laughs> you know, just one sweet. Uh-huh. Whereas for me, if I'm around all, all sweets, so it's, it's much easier for Ranjit to just to play around with food than it is for me. Yeah, he can have, like, it doesn't bother me to have bread in the house because I just don't eat it. And uh, But when he has a slice, he'll just have one slice. He doesn't say, oh, I'm going to have three or four. Um, and he ha- he ha- eats a healthy chip, and but he'll just take a handful with whatever meal he's prepared for himself, and he'll eat that. And it doesn't bother me to have those chips in the house, so... Uh, and he doesn't go back for seconds. It's just the crunch or the salt or whatever he wants for himself. So we, it's, it's worked out really well. We have no sweets in the house, and and um, I'm just, uh, I'm just. We're both in a really good place, and both at our ideal weight. And um, you know, just have found the answer. And more and more now, you know, we're kind of moving more, even in terms of, you know, thinking more about the animals, thinking more about our planet, and things that we never dreamed we'd be thinking about. It's, it's kind of evolving into the whole picture. And I think that that, that actually happens more often than not. And I, I know for myself that's definitely been the case where I just started from my own health and then I was like, oh, the animals, oh, uh-huh. the planet. And then it's, it's, it is like, you know, uncovering that you're, you know, in a – You've been living asleep for a very long time, and we're all we're all one, and we're all interconnected, you know. And it's kind of a spiritual journey too, um, and, and an awakening, and, and enlightenment, or whatever you want to call it, but awareness of 
of uh, how one thing impacts other things as well. This is great to be in this place. And Ben was just saying this morning, I wish I would have known this 40 years ago. Yes, even for me. The hardest part for me now is, is tempering my excitement and tempering my zeal because I, I just want to share the news with everyone. And I'm learning that some people get put off um, by even hearing a positive story, you know. They say, I don't think people want their own ways challenged in any way. And I understand. I was there three three-quarter years ago, too. I didn't want someone telling me I was uh, eating incorrectly or not doing the best for the environment or whatever. It just takes patience, I think, and learning that balance with how to spread the good word, how to be considerate of where, where other people are, how not to be judgmental, how to be patient with them, and how to um, speak up when you can. Mm. It's a very, I'm not a master at that, I have to admit. After all these years, I'm still not a master at that, although I have along the way. But it is difficult because you, you never know how much to bring up because, you know, you do become so excited when you've overcome, you know, you can don't need glasses anymore. That's a huge that's a huge benefit of, you know, what's your experience in recovering your health with a whole food plant-based diet. And for me, you know, being able to feel my legs and having no relapses and no symptoms of multiple sclerosis and not being constipated and having candida and not having fibromyalgia pain everywhere for your, over your whole body. You just want to scream it from the rooftops yes. and, and then you're just absolutely stunned that people don't want to hear it. Or they think that you're a one-off or that you're a fluke, which is you know, the whole reason for this podcast, that people hear that it's not just my experience. It's many, many, the 121 episodes, including this episode. So, Well, I know last year, last year I went to a um, high school reunion and, you know, I was, thought, thought I was gently sharing my story and uh, one fellow there said, Esther, enough. It really shut me down, and mm. um, so I, I kind of backed off and didn't say much more. And just this last week, I went and visited in the, him in the hospital after a four, after him having a four-way bypass and a valve replacement. And I still, so I didn't say anything. I just was there to be a friend to him. But just think of what could have been reversed. And so now he's going to have to recover. For, and he's seventy. He's a little older, seventy-seven now, and he's having to recuperate from all that surgery. And um, and then I had another friend just recently I saw that he had had a stroke and another one had prostate cancer and another one was in the hospital for infection after a hip replacement and his wife was in the hospital throwing up blood. And, and then I'm supposed to be quiet. I know. That's what I mean. They're asking you to be quiet when you're watching people that you love suffer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and die as well you know it's not just that they're suffering but they're they're dying prematurely and they're not even getting to live those last years of their life because they're so ill mm-hmm. the only thing i said to him when i visited with him was have the doctors suggested what might have been the cause of this and his answer was old age and um what was the other thing he said old age and um oh heredity so I just listened. Oh, that's the story that everyone gets. And I do probably, probably doctors are taught to say that because it, it, 
prevents the patient from feel, adding guilt to their suffering that they're already experiencing. Well, I guess for many, it's not their protocol, but Al Schmidt lives in our area and he had uh, coronary heart disease and was sent home to die. But fortunately, he had a nurse or a doctor who told him he had to go plant-based or he would die. Mm. And, and good for him, he did. And he's got a marvelous story, too. And he's, uh, he did that. He was at 80 years old when he did this. And he was so bad, he couldn't even climb the steps at home. He had to have a chair installed you know, to go up and down the steps. And he's he's just out traveling and speaking and and telling everyone you know spreading the news and I just met him this last January and then he introduced me to um, some people and we were on a panel together at the um, VegFest last February and then he introduced me to this woman who does radio programs and three of us got to be on her program so we've become friends. And his story is marvelous, you know, at 80 years old to turn his life around. That's incredible. It is. I'll have to put, I'll have to put him in touch with you. Yeah, you have to. No, that sounds fantastic. So I just wanted to talk just for, you touched on your thyroid issues. How long were you taking thyroid medication for? Uh, over 30 years. I started out, I was at uh, 112, and then as I lost weight, um, it was reduced down to 100, and then it was reduced down to 50, and that was uh, a year and a half ago. And I went to my doctor and I said, you know, I'd like to be off of this altogether. I said, can we do an experiment and see how that would go? And he said, well, he says you might gain some weight back and you might, um, what was that? They not have as so much energy. And I said, well, it's my body, and I'm willing to experiment. You know, if you approve. And he said, okay, so I went off the thyroid medication for six weeks and was doing fine. And then about that, that was about the time I went to Dr. McDougall's three-day weekend program. And Dr. Lim was there, and I told him my story, and uh, he said he would not put me back on it. Oh, I know, after six weeks, the, my number was like, I forget now, 5.8 or 5.9, you know, which was slightly elevated. But he said at that level, he would not put me back on it. And my doctor now at Kaiser, he said no. So I've been a year and a half totally free of levothyroxine. And I, I lost even more weight after that. And I have all the energy I can handle. So for me, it worked. Now, some, there, are a lot of pe- there are a lot of people taking thyroid medication. And I am always cautious to tell that story because I don't want to set it up as a possibility for everyone. Because some people have had uh, radiation on their thyroid and they've had other Maybe some have had part of their thyroid removed, and I don't know the condition of everyone. But I can say that I was on that medication for over 30 years, and I'm totally off of it. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. I know so many women, especially, who have thyroid issues. or well, I know only women who have thyroid issues. You know, my mother included and close friends and you know, their, their medication for life, you know, because it's yes. just... And myself, I was on it for about a year. I, I, I was a long time ago. I, was, I went on it when I was pregnant with Iggy and then I stayed on it for a little while. And then when I went back, it was back to normal. So it just got elevated during my pregnancy and then and then sorted itself out. After. But, but then during my pregnancy with Iggy, I wasn't plant-based. I was eating a standard Australian, well, a, <laughs> probably, probably worse than a standard Australian diet briefly during that pregnancy because I – wasn't I hadn't made the connection with the animals or the planet and I 
was just doing it for my multiple sclerosis and I'd heard that MS went into remission when you were pregnant and I thought, well, I'm just going to eat whatever I feel like, which is probably a very stupid thing to do, obviously. I wouldn't recommend that to anyone, but that, that pregnancy I gained more weight than I needed to and it wasn't as good as Theo's pregnancy, which was a plant-based whole food plant-based pregnancy. So yes, much better. But yeah, the thyroid problem was in that pregnancy and not in Theo's at all. So yeah, it's definitely can help for a lot of people to make the switch Mm -hmm. and get off their thyroid medication that way. And your vision now, you're the first, maybe second person who's been on the show talking about vision with a plant-based mm-hmm. diet. So how you've been, how long had you had glasses for? Well, I didn't wear them all the time. I, I, I did I did have to wear them for driving. It was on my driver's license mm. where I had to have them. Mm. And and then I finally got, you know, those um, glasses, what do they call them, transition glasses where they go from seeing yeah, close yes. to the front. Multi, we call them multifocals then, here. So I guess I don't know uh, a whole lot about this macular pucker that I've dealt with for a long time, but... What I do know is after three months of starting a whole food plant-based diet, um, the doctor had suggested that he that I was now ready to go for surgery. He would refer me to the surgeon. And that's when I spoke up and said, well, you know, I've just started changing the way I eat three months ago. And I just have this feeling that whatever is feeding my body all over, it's going to help my eyes too. I said, is there any rush to get into surgery? And he said, no. He said, um, Come back in six months and I'll evaluate you. So I went back in six months and my vision improved. And just come back again another six months. I went back and I improved again. And then finally a year ago, uh, December 10th, I saw him and he said, I said to him as I was leaving the office, you know, I haven't been wearing my glasses lately. Do you think I should, should wear them to protect my eyes? And he said, with your vision, you don't need to wear glasses. Now, I know I met been in 1987 and I was wearing glasses then I mean when I you know I was wearing glasses all the time then so it's it's so I won't say that my vision is perfect I had this other inherited condition called uh, pseudo defoliation and that condition I guess makes it more difficult to have cataracts removed so I have not had my cataracts removed but it's it's just great like I say I don't have to I don't have to wear them for driving, and I don't wear them to watch TV, and I don't wear them around the house, and so I'm I'm very happy. And the last thing, and then I saw the doctor again, December of 19, and he just says, you know, keep eating your greens. <laughs> and it was kind of interesting. <laughs> and then, and I think he had tried a plant-based diet for a while, and uh, so I got to tell him, and so every time I go to Kaiser, I pass out my my card and try to tell people about it, and just be a little missionary so <laughs> but it's like if you found gold and it would cost you nothing to share that secret of having found gold with everyone wouldn't you want to share it i know wouldn't you i know it's such a shame that people do find it so triggering to hear that the things that i guess it's you know you're telling people basically that their addictions are harming them, things that they really, they don't even know that they're addicted to. No, that's true. And it's just so challenging on them to think that this thing that they've been addicted to and taught to be addicted to from birth, Mm -hmm. that that thing, that way of life is wrong, you know. I guess it's akin to someone telling you, you you know, a Muslim sitting down with you and saying that your way of following God is 
not the right way and their way is the right way. And for a lot of people, they say that food, changing food is, is more difficult than changing religion. Yeah, I've, I've been accused of having found a new religion. Oh, jeez. Which, which only separates us from those we love. You know, we, it's not a new religion. It's just new enlightenment. It's just a new learning. You know, if you didn't know how to solve a math problem and you learned how to solve it, well, you haven't changed. You just have learned another tool or learned the answer. But I think, I don't know, do you know about Doug, Doug Lyle's work? Yes, I do. Well, he has helped us a lot, too, because he teaches us that as, as evolved animals, we are normally attracted, naturally attracted to the most calorie-dense food in our environment. And just learning that has helped us because it takes away the guilt of, or the shame of not having willpower. It's not about willpower. It's that we are normally drawn to those foods, and the only answer is to not have it in your environment. And that's why it's so important to have a clean kitchen, because if it's there, eventually, like Chef AJ says, if it's in your mouth, if it's in your house, it will be in your mouth. And that's true. But if it's just not there, then you choose the best food that's in your house. And uh, he also talks about how when you have switched over and then you come back to your, your village or your tribe with this good news, you know, they want to hit you over the head with a hammer because no one wants light shine on their own darkness. We all want to think we're doing the very best for ourselves and to have someone else even silently show um, a different way of being, it uh, raises the question within each of us, are we doing our best? And people, generally speaking, don't like change. And and even myself, you know, a little over three and a half years ago, I mean, I thought I was eating healthy. I mean, I didn't smoke, I didn't drink, I didn't chew, and I thought I was reasonable in what I was eating. It's just, it's just, it's that balance that's really a delicate situation to be in. And I think that's one reason why it's so good to find support groups because you don't feel so alone. And other people are struggling too, and other people are, you're realizing that there really are a lot of vegans, a lot of whole food plant based people out there, but you just don't know where they are. But in a group, you can, you can see the numbers grow, and, and it's reaffirming that that uh, there is hope. There is hope to influence and to motivate and to support all of us together as we're on our journey. Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love the work that you're doing. You are so engaged on your page and so supportive to everyone who's in your group. So everyone head over to Esther's Nutritional Journey Facebook group. Is that right? Esther's Nutritional Journey? That's right. I'll put yes. the link in the show notes for everyone who is listening and wants to go over and make it to 10,000. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You're going to need admins in your group soon, Esther. Maybe. As long as, <laughs> long as I have the time and the energy, I love the involvement. I love keeping it clean. I love keeping it on target. Yeah. And, uh, it does take some management, but I'm... I'm thrilled to do my part to repay what I've learned. Yes. Thank you so much for everything. But the last thing I wanted to say to you was your new updated three biggest tips for anyone wanting to make the switch to a whole food plant-based diet. I guess I would 
back up a little bit and not set the bar so high. And I would say something like, take one moment at a time, one bite at a time, one meal at a time, and um, you know, start slowly if you have to. But then I would counter that is as you go along, if you're able to do it, the more you can get into the program, the faster you'll see results and you'll have a motivation to continue. So there's, I think you have to do it strictly enough to get some success so that you have the um, momentum to keep going. Mm. And the other thing is I think it takes a belief system that this really is the healthiest way to live. Because if you don't believe it, why go through all the anguish of trying to deny yourself what you love? Yes. But if you get to that awareness that you do believe it, then it makes it easier to, um, to practice it. Yes. And what do you think gave you that belief? I guess the, the, the radical success. Mm. Because I almost immediately started not having to take pain pills from my knees anymore and started losing weight and losing uh, inches with the uh, detoxification. And, uh, and that's the hardest thing, Corinne, is to know how do you sell any program to someone until they have experienced the benefits. Mm. That's the hardest thing. If, if, they, if you could push a button and they say, okay, this, this is how you're going to feel when you get done. Mm changing over then people say oh what a contrast and then oh i want to do that but until they know that the joy of their current eating habits is too pleasurable absolutely it's much more i think it's you know it is because we want that we're in that pleasure pleasure trap we want that dopamine hit that hit of joy that we get when we have a mouthful that healthy living doesn't give you it to you immediately and doesn't give it to you repeatedly either, over and over again. It does, but I mean, it's not like food where you can get a high every five minutes if you wanted to, whereas mm-hmm. with healthy living, you're just like, after a while, wow, you know, I, you take it for granted that you feel much, much better than you did six months ago or even two weeks ago. Yeah, it's like the old frog in the water. You know, mm. the water the temperature keeps getting raised higher and higher, and he doesn't know he's in danger. Mm. And in fact, he doesn't even get out because the water change, when you heat it up, is so gradual, he doesn't realize that he's in hot water. And I think another tip I would say is if you're obsessive about food, get obsessive about something helpful, like helping someone else. If you can get outside of yourself and serve others, I think you you get a dopamine hit from that. And so we have to find new ways to get that uh, warm fuzzies that we all want. Mm. Absolutely. You know, if you can learn how to um, just do, you know, like I said, do something for someone else or or find a new hobby or uh, take time to know what you want in your life. What makes you happy? What makes you smile? And go for that because uh, there's so many ways we can learn to get that high without it being food. And then I'd say another thing is, Try to change your mindset and try to view food as fuel instead of an orgasmic experience. I love all of that. And I think that for so many people, and I know for us here in Australia, if you're listening, you know, we have such a, we're being ravaged by bushfires, as we mentioned earlier in the interview. And there are so many 
ways that we can give back to the our community in this country in a way that is much more meaningful than eating a Kit Kat or having a piece of cheesecake. You know, we can give back to the wildlife, make bandages for the koalas and the possums and all the beautiful animals that have been burnt severely in these bushfires. You know, we can foster animals. We can rescue wildlife in our homes. We can donate to the Red Cross. We can open our doors to strangers who are in need of a place to live after their homes have burnt down or they've been evacuated from their homes. There are so many ways we can um, help with getting goods to the people who need them, uh, organising events and fundraisers for the CFA and the firefighting services around the country, organising a morning tea, organising a bake sale, however it is for you, whatever your skills are, there's always a way that you can rally your energies and put them to something really, really purposeful that could help so many people and so many animals and also the planet. You know, if you have some land to plant, to plant trees to help reclaim this country from a fire-scorched nothingness to a lush environment for all all of us to live in. Then, you know, if you have that space to do those things that draw carbon, draw the carbon out of the atmosphere and down into the ground, all of those things are so, so helpful. So however it is for you, it's a much more meaningful thing to do than just feed your addictions at home, feeling helpless and powerless to the crisis that face not only Australia, but there's, there's many climate crises that are, fa- that are facing the whole world. Wow, that's marvelous. Because sometimes people don't know what to do. It's kind of like sometimes there's a death in the neighborhood or in the family, and people often say, well, you know, if I can do anything to help you, let me know. You're letting people know what they can actually do. Well, yeah, they've just, it's just, it's so, so the, the problem is so great here. There is, there are so many ways it can feel overwhelming. And I think for a lot of people it feels overwhelming and we just scroll through our social media feeds, seeing worse and worse and worse stories mm. and feeling more and more and more devastated and powerless. So I think that now is the time to, action is the antidote to despair. And so, yes. Yes. And so we just have to act and do everything we can to help one another. And rem- remember, as Esther said, that as we slowly connect to a plant-based diet, most of us realize our connection to all things. These beautiful plant foods keep us alive. And the plants and the animals, all the things work together in our ecosystems to keep everything in harmony and balance. And when we take, take, take from the landscape with resources and mining coal and cutting down the trees for forests and grazing of cattle, we are doing damage that leads to crises like what we're in right now. And mm-hmm. and once you recognize the oneness, that we are all one on this planet together, then it's just about finding ways to to replenish what we've taken and help one another and become a community of earthlings all here together. That's wonderful, Corinne. Yes. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Esther. My pleasure. My pleasure. I love seeing you, love following you. And thank you because of your podcast. We have a lot of Australians that have joined. And so you've uh, given me friends all over the world. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad to help. And I'm so glad for the work that you're doing, spreading this message, even though it can be difficult and it can be ill-received. Before you started this journey, there was 2,000 less people being inspired by you. Oh, thank you. 
So you're doing a wonderful thing, even though the people that you wish would hear this story maybe are never going to hear it. Maybe they might down the road. But there's 2,000 people whose lives are better off for having you in them. So thank you for the work that you're doing. Well, thank you. (laughs) We're a team. We're a team. Take care, (laughs) Esther. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So sorry, this is a very... We're adding this on at the end because Esther told me this after the recording had finished, so I just wanted to add this quickly in. Esther, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say that it was uh, one of my uh, exciting experiences this last summer was having my story accepted for the um, Women's World magazine. They wanted someone who was over 70 who had gone to a plant-based diet and had lost uh, over 70 pounds. Um, They were looking for someone to fill that, which I did. And it was so much fun because they came out here to the house and I had a makeup artist here doing my face. And and then I had four photographers here and they were here for several hours. And I had to learn how to stand and pose. And oh, they took all these wow. pictures out in the yard. And it was so much fun. And so I got my picture on the cover of World 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 Woman's Woman's World magazine on oh, August 5th. And, wow. and guess whose story they were really telling? Who? Neil, Bern- Neil Bernard. Wow. Isn't that exciting? So yes. it, was, it was a story about him, and then they just used my story as part of that. But that was really fun. And then things just keep leading to more things. At church, I got to give my story there. And then Peggy Bean has a radio show, and she invited me with uh, Al Schmidt and Anthony to come up and be on her show. And then I did a video for a group of people in Davenport, Iowa. And then I did a Skype with some kids in London. They were studying diabetes. And so it's just, it's a fun life. I just um, am having so much fun with all of this. Oh, and, uh, so that's there, so good. So even though there have been some setbacks and, and some challenges in terms of my balance, but there's been a lot of rewards and excitement too. So, yeah, I just had to, I didn't want to sound like I was bragging. Brag away. <laughs> I love that you're bragging. Look at all those people's lives that you're touching. Thank you so yeah, much that, for doing all of that. It's wonderful. Oh, you sure You're welcome. All right. See you later (laughs) properly this time. Okay. Thank you so much, Esther. Don't forget to follow Esther on Esther's Nutritional Journey over on Facebook and to look up Esther Loveridge on YouTube to watch a few of her videos that she's put out. And I'll have all the links in the show notes if you want to join those or watch those videos. Thank you all so much for listening. Please share this episode with everyone that you know and love on your Facebook, on social media, wherever you are, or give it a thumbs up, like, love heart, all of those things. Thanks again. I hope your 2020 is safe, that all of your families are safe, that your animals are safe. And if you have fires coming into your, if you've lost your home, I hope that you're receiving support and that you're being connected to the right services to rebuild your home and your life with your family. And if you've lost loved ones, my heart absolutely breaks for you. I've put links for support, you know, for support services to donate to in the show notes. So please check those out. If you need counselling support services, I'll have the links to Red Cross and Lifeline in the show notes in the show notes. So thank you all for listening and stay safe. See you next week. Bye. Bags are packed. Are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road.
Riding with you in the sunnier days I 